Alright, well, it's going to be a fun morning. I hope you're already having fun, but that's not always our goal. <laughs> sometimes we come with a reverent heart, sometimes we come with a joyful heart, but the important thing is that we keep our hearts open for whatever God decides to do when we come together to worship. We're going to be in the book of Micah and around, uh, continuing from our theme yesterday, or sorry, yesterday week. <laughs> It's just a week of thing. I've been saying it for so many years now. <laughs> that uh, we're just continuing through some of the, the hymns of Christmas. And today we're looking at a little town of Bethlehem. Now, I've told this story before, but it doesn't get old because uh, I like it. So, and I'm up here. <laughs> but different towns are known for different things, right? You know, if you were to go to Seattle you might uh, think of Starbucks. In fact, when I went to Seattle, I wanted to get a coffee at Starbucks just because. Yeah. You know, some people go for the Space Needle. I just wanted to, to go to where it all began. <laughs> and we never made it. As a family, we never made it to, to anywhere where there was coffee. And so as we were flying out from Seattle, uh, there was a Starbucks coffee in the airport. And so I, uh, I honored our trip to Seattle as a family <laughs> in the airport with a Starbucks coffee. And the truth is, I don't even like Starbucks coffee all that much. But it was important. <laughs> but I was in San Francisco, it's Pete's. I don't know if that's from San Francisco, but that was, that was the competing thing. Uh, you know, you go to uh, New York or Chicago, and they're going to fight you over pizza, right? Who does it right? And, and I always thought that it was just uh, Peter Piper's pizza. That's not that's not <laughs> Everybody always hates Peter Piper's, and I always liked Peter Piper's. Because for years after church, my mom would take us, my mom and dad would go over to the Peter Piper's off Alvernon, and we would play games all afternoon. They would visit with church families and do pastor, pastor, wife things. And so I, I developed an early uh, taste for uh, <laughs> Peter Piper. That's right. You'll always be happy when you have simple tastes. <laughs> But what is Tucson known for? You know, there's some places in Tucson that are pretty famous and others that uh, you might like. Yes. In 1922, we had Monica Flynn, the founder of El Charo. They were working and someone dropped a burrito into the deep fried pan and exclaimed, Oh, chimichanga! <laughs> might, might have been an Italian. <laughs> And the chimichanga was born here in the old Pueblo. <laughs> and so anyway, you know, it's a good story. The, the best bread comes from bread town. If you don't know, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. And so David came from bread town. And Jesus comes from bread town. And isn't it interesting that God would choose that humble little town of Bethlehem, the small one, by the way, we find out in antiquity there were two Bethlehems. This was the smaller one, the least known, one of the Fratha, which you have to practice many a time to get right. But little Bethlehem is that wonderful place where the bread of life came from. And truly the best bread did come from Bethlehem, bread town. And so uh, let's go ahead. We're going we're to have a little fun. It's going to be an interactive message today, which means you have to participate. So... Put your pillows down. <laughs> you know, I used to bring a pillow to class when I was a senior in high school. Smart Ellie. I, I know. The, <laughs> the Lord put me in charge of youth for 20 years. That's As punishment. <laughs> oh, 
if you're watching, teachers, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Let's sing the first verse of A Little Town of Bethlehem together. All right, it's on the strip yeah, at least the first part, and I think the second part's next, but we'll start here. <clears throat> Try to pick a key. church. We are. We're not afraid to come and to sing. No. And we're pretty good, I think. If we're not, we don't tell each other. <laughs> we learned several lessons from Bethlehem. The first lesson is that humility precedes honor. Yes. This is throughout the Bible. You know, you go to James, you go to Peter. We had a whole uh, sermon on it a few weeks ago in the Peter series about uh, humility. It's our garment. It's what we're to put on in the morning. It's the attitude. And Bethlehem shows us that humility precedes honor. God chose one of the smallest and poorest towns in Israel as the birthplace of the Messiah. I mean, if we go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which we just read, it, it says, You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings are from old, from everlasting. The ruler, the eternal ruler, the one that we can't find his beginning and we can't see his end is going to come from this little town of Bethlehem. If God graced Bethlehem with Christ, I guess the question we should ask is what should I expect he might do for you or, or for myself? What, what can I expect of God if Bethlehem, so little, so insignificant, God would do such an amazing thing through them? What should I expect of God? And of course, a humble answer is I don't expect anything. You know, Lord, use me today or not. It's a prayer of uh, President Jeff Ward from Gateway Seminary. He was uh, diagnosed with cancer, and he tells the story of how uh, he was praying, and one of the prayers he was asking is, Lord, why me? And the answer he got was uh, the emphasis in the question means a lot, you know. Why is this happening to me, Lord? You could say, why, and emphasize that. You could say, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? You know, we, we all kind of go through these times that are hard, and we can ask that question in uh, many different ways. And, and he comes to the solution that God's allowing things to happen because he's trying to uh, work out his will in our individual lives. So the, the emphasis on me is not a selfish question. It's why this Lord, it, it's your will be done, but why do you allow something like this to happen to me? And I think one of the things that we've always loved about North Swan is we've almost viewed ourselves as a little humble church Amen. on the corner who we know God has used for great and marvelous things and we can't wait till the day where everything is pulled back and we can see what God has done through this oh, little church on the corner. Jesus. 
you know, I know one of our favorite songs, and I, I grew up with different versions of it, was Little as Much, if God's in it. Amen. But we should not despise our humble beginnings or our humble church or our humble uh, credentials. None of that is really important. God has chosen the foolish things to make fools of the world. And he's chosen the wise things of the world to make them fools because God likes to reverse expectations. It's who he is. I remember when I was in uh, choir and, at the University of Arizona, and I, I really felt like I didn't belong in that choir, but I was loud. And I... I Audition for vocal performance as a freshman, and I showed up to this audition. I was just told to show up, and they said, well, what did you prepare? And I, I looked at them and said, oh, <laughs> I was told to show up. I didn't, I didn't prepare anything. And this wonderful uh, teacher, uh, Dr. Brad Barrett, he, he said, Andrew, don't worry about it. You, you, you weren't prepared. Do you know Amazing Grace? And, and you have to, he's just... <laughs> If there's a definition of a wonderful good old boy, this is, this is who was at the piano. And he just starts playing Amazing Grace, and I, in my greatest opera tones, <laughs> sing Amazing Grace. And, uh, and I look at their faces now being a little bit more in the club than I was in those days. And uh, they just, uh, the answer was, wow. <laughs> you've, got, you've got quite the instrument there. <laughs> And if you want to see that live, you can go find me on our Facebook page singing the ball game, the National Anthem. It's a very similar approach. And uh, the, the pianist who was helping out, he was working on his doctorate, and he was over the symphonic choir. And he's like, that's what I need for a choir. I need, I need volume, somebody who's not afraid to sing, and, and who can hit notes. And so I, I ended up on that choir, which is, it was kind of a big deal. And I was with all these music majors that, that had music all through high school and had all this. And I, I'm just a Marquez Lawson family singer. And we came over the Alps. And uh, again, I learned an awful lot in a, in a hurry. And, and as I was finishing my time in that choir, I, I was moving into my junior year. We were all going around saying, share something. We went on tour, went to San Antonio. It was a really fun experience for me. And it was just great to be part of this, this really excellent group of musicians. And so as we were going around the room, I was trying to think, what am I going to say? You know, and I was a nervous sophomore. I shouldn't have been that nervous. But I, I stood up and I said, you know, this has been one of the most humiliating experiences. <laughs> humbling, humbling experiences in my life. And uh, there's something fun about just messing up a word. It, it was very humbling even saying that, because I was humbled to be in that audience, but I said humiliated. Oh and oftentimes, we, uh, we really, <laughs> if, if you will not humble yourself, really is what I'm saying, you will be humiliated. Uh -huh. And what we have to do is embrace the humility uh, that we have. Amen. Uh, being humble, have that attitude, let God lift you up. Amen. And uh, Bethlehem was a humble place. In fact, it still is a humble place, but people do visit it now yeah. for a significant reason. There's a, there's a little, uh, little church built over where Jesus they believe, was born. So humility precedes honor. Let's sing the second verse together. We're going to sing all four of them. So we're going to move briskly through the message, but we won't rush the song. <laughs> All right, ready? For Christ is born of Mary, and gathered all above, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. Oh, 
humility precedes honor. The next lesson we learned from Bethlehem, and it's really encapsulated in this verse, is that patience prepares us for the promises. Micah's, promise, uh, Micah's prophecy that we're reading is over 700 years before Christ would come. We have a accompanying text in Isaiah when we hear about the virgin birth. It's really interesting. Isaiah sees this virgin birth that a woman will, will conceive and give birth to a son. And we see in Micah, who's at the same time as Isaiah. In fact, some of their prophecies overlap. We have pieces of Micah in Isaiah and pieces of Isaiah in Micah. And it's really an interesting thing. But they have the same vision of this woman who will conceive and give birth. And Micah's prophecy is on the where, and Isaiah's prophecy is on the how. And uh, both on the who. 700 years. You know, have you ever waited for anything? <laughs> how about 700 years? And what we find is that they're in the middle of Israel's prophecy. Go back to Genesis in the time of Joseph and his father Jacob and the blessing that we have with the tribe of Judah. That one will come from the tribe of Judah who will be over his brothers. That the scepter will not depart from him. And that's the same prophecy that's picked up then in Numbers. And we have Balaam who is hired to curse Israel and God puts words in his mouth and he says, I see a star coming from Judah. I see him, but not yet. And that this makes its way all the way down. And finally, we get to the time of Christ, and we have Simeon, and we have prophets of the day that have been told it's going to be in your lifetime. But patience is what prepares us for the promises. Amen. God's timing is always right. Amen. Do you believe that? Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you, I have, uh, I have doubted that sometimes, or wanted to push the end, help God along. You ever wanted to help God along? Usually doesn't work out so well. So, you know, one of the, the songs that when we used to have David Meese come out and play, and he had a great song where, thank you for the times you said no. I don't know if you remember that song. But it, it is, a, thank you for the times you said no, thank you for the doors that you closed. Patience produces character, leading to hope, according to Romans 5. Patience also provides time for repentance. If we go to 2 Peter 3.15, we find out that they're wondering when God is going to return. When is Christ going to return? And Peter says, don't get caught up in all that. A day to the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. But know this, it is the patience. The patience of the Lord is for repentance. Amen. God has delayed in order to give time for our loved ones to repent. That's right. And so pray and witness and be about that because the time will eventually be cut off. I guess the question we should ask ourselves is, what are we waiting for in our own lives that we want to hurry God along on? You know, is there, is, uh, are, you, are you wanting to hurry the kids on out of the house? <laughs> are you wanting to hurry a relationship, you know, that, that isn't quite ready yet? You know, the, the leading theme in the book of Song of Songs is, don't awaken love before it's time. It's like the choir song that they sing, don't, don't awaken before it's time. And if you read it like I do, and you believe that whole book is about the coming Messiah, there's this great longing Amen. for the bridegroom to come. Yes. But don't awaken it before it's time. There is a time that is right. Do you trust God's timing in your life? Bethlehem, of course, didn't have a choice. And many of us, when, you, when you're humble, you recognize, I can spin my wheels all I want. But God is still on the throne, and I, I, I can't force his hand. Now, he might, in order to help me learn some things, allow me to push my own way. But often, uh, you'll find that if you just wait... If you just are humble and you wait, that the great blessing will come. Amen. The Red Rider be begun. Who's already seen the movie? Anybody already watched the Christmas story? <laughs> that poor boy. He just wants the Red Rider be begun. Double action. You know. 
I will tell you that I own a Red Ryder BB gun. Amen. And my father wrapped it up and he hid it behind the bookshelf. <laughs> I got a spring-loaded Red Ryder BB gun. I pointed it at my little brother and I lost it for 16 years. <laughs> but I got it back on my wedding day. <laughs> Oh, fun memories. What, is, what happens as soon as he gets that red rider beam again? You're going to shoot your eye out, right? Because yeah. he's immature and we're not sure that he's ready to shoot it. He goes out and he points it at something and it ricochets right back and breaks. And then, oh no, I got to think of a story in fact, right? It's the, you know, and he tells this big fib, you know, maybe he wasn't quite ready for that beam again. Maybe what they were telling him was right. But his dad stepped in and got it for him. You know, bad things will happen sometimes when we rush, but good, good to know that our good God is there, yes. <laughs> is there to stick a stake on our eye and help us all, right? <laughs> but the Lord will, will, will handle our mistakes, right? Yes. When we push too hard, when we've done too much, we push too hard, and he's let us kind of fall on our face, as every parent sometimes does. You can't protect your kids from every consequence. Sometimes they have to fall on their face. They have to just push through and do it on their own, and we try to protect them from the catastrophic Yes. mistakes. But it's important that they learn that there's consequences for those small regular mistakes. And in that learning we, we as good parents embrace our kids, we help them, we teach them and the Lord does that for us as well. Amen. Patience prepares for the promises. Amen. God's got good things waiting for those that will wait on his name. Amen. Little town of Bethlehem, verse 3. Here we go. How silently, how silently. How silently, how Simply to stir the devotion. Yes. We're, we're building up, right? 
We're, we're trying to, every day we should be more excited about Christmas. My kids are still this way. They get up in the morning and they've got that little calendar, right? And we've got to move the thing over. You know, what happened to us adults? We don't, we don't move this. It's like it's been six days and then, oh. <laughs> what, where's this supposed to be? We're doing math. I can't count backwards. Um, <laughs> but we, we've, we lose that enthusiasm. And what we've done in the church is we've tried to set up ways of reigniting that and keeping that devotion strong. And that's part of the reason that we give up things and we fast. We don't have to do these things. We give these things up because it causes us to move into that mindset of devotion, expectation. And we work on disciplines. We pray. We read the Bible. We go to church. We sing these songs. I do notice sometimes that it seems like the radio has pushed out all the Christian Christmas music and has replaced it with all of the, the, the pop stuff. And not entirely, so I'm not saying there's a conspiracy against the, the Christian music, but they can't get rid of all of it because it permeates the season. Yes, and so we get an opportunity this season to share that devotion with others. It promotes the delight. We can have spiritual renewal in Christ today. Amen. In fact, today is a great day because we're having the Lord's Supper. Amen. And we're going to partake of the bread of life. Amen. We're going to remember the fellowship we have. Is it not a coin in the end? Is it not a fellowship with Christ as we take the body and blood, the bread and the wine together? Of course, for us, it is grape juice. Probably was for me. Okay. There is no delight in hoarding God's blessings. There is no delight in rushing God's will. The delight comes in embracing the prophecies he's given and just sitting on those, meditating on those things. Verse 4. O holy child of Bethlehem. Here we go. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be this opportunity to enter into 
the wholeness, that covenantal love, the hesed love of God. He is faithful to offer it to us, and yet Israel entered into that covenant and then broke it. And in order to repair that breach in the covenant, you needed to cover over it once again with blood. The blood of the lamb would be sacrificed, and that blood, that death, would cover over. The word that we have, propitiation, means to cover, so that God isn't looking upon the sin anymore. And cover over so that we could be whole again. And this was an ongoing, never-ending procedure that Israel participated in because the sins never ceased. And when we get to the book of Hebrews, we find out that Christ came and died once for all. Amen. So that we wouldn't have to. The blood of bulls and uh, animals cannot, cannot annul sin. No. And Jesus not only covers over, he expiates, which means to wipe away. Amen. And our songs are not cover our sins, O Lord, but we want to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. We are cleansed and made fully whole in Jesus Christ. So purified and perfect that God's own spirit can come and dwell within us. Is that not an incredible blessing? Yeah. The Prince of Peace provides the peace. He provides peace first within man so that our sinful desires and states can be curbed and eventually be eliminated with the death of our body when we fully go to be with him. We will be cleansed and forgiven and freed ultimately from the power of sin. And it's in that intermediate state that we actually act as ambassadors for Christ Proclaiming the peace that's offered, the reconciliation that is offered in Christ. And it is through this that Christians have changed the world. Amen. And, and but be for the devil, <laughs> what could we accomplish? In fact, I think you see that messianic kingdom in Revelation as that wonderful time when Satan is fully bound. It doesn't mean that mankind is eliminated from sinful, uh, sinful desires. But somehow, under that great leadership of Christ, we have a... A wonderful messianic reign for a thousand years. And yet as soon as the devil is freed, he's able to turn those hearts once again. But Christ brings the peace. Christ came to establish everlasting peace. And he's coming again to establish an eternal peace of his own kingdom. We have uh, tracks, gospel tracks. We, my dad and I actually put together a gospel track uh, survey. Still pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> And the idea was through a survey, we could kind of get an idea of, of where you were at in your mindset. Were you postmodern? Were, uh, were you against any truth altogether? Were you uh, recognizing the biblical truth? And we had different tracks that we could uh, give you based upon how you responded to try to address where you were at spiritually. And one of the tracks that we used was Steps to Peace with God. And this has been around. This is Billy Graham's track. And it's the idea that there's a chasm. And that this chasm... Uh, is between God and man, and that if man tries to reach across this chasm, they always fail. But God said, I'll bridge the chasm, and he puts the cross of Christ across that chasm. And through the death of Christ, we can reach God. And it's a great picture, and it illustrates really what we're talking about. That the peace that's required is something that I cannot accomplish. Jesus had to accomplish it. God had to accomplish it. I'm the debtor without any funds. I cannot repay the debt. I've committed the crime. I'm the criminal. I need the forgiveness from the one that hasn't committed the crimes. Amen. I need the mercy from the judge. And that's what we have. Peace with God brings eternal peace into the rest of our lives, family, marriages, work. It brings the racial reconciliation. It bridges the fights that we have between men and women, between fathers and their sons. Right. Christ, he brings the sword, but in Christ, he brings the peace. 
and it's mysterious. Now notice the very end here, Revelation 3, 20 through 21. Cast out our sin and enter in. I was debating with a, a friend of mine who's, who's very Calvinist, and he said, Andrew, tell me one place where the Bible uh, tells you the sinner's prayer, Jesus come into my heart. And I said, are you serious? Yeah, it's not even in the Bible. I'm like, have you ever been to Revelation 3.20? And as soon as I said it, you know, he kind of got red-faced because he'd heard the verse. The sinner's prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, is from Revelation 3.20. He's preaching to the churches. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. Amen. Amen. And you know what he'll do? We sometimes, I'll dine with him. And he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcome and sat down with my Father on his throne. Amen. Amen. When we pray the sinner's prayer, we're praying, Lord, what you've promised to this church, let it be me. Yes. And then what he does is he offers himself. We dine on Christ, with Christ. This is my body, this is my blood. He offers himself. When we take the Lord's Supper today, we are asking him to enter in in a sense, and it's a temporary sense because we know that we do these things until he comes again. It's a way of visually feeling almost that sense of Christ entering into us. And we know where two or more are gathered, Christ is there in our midst. And so he's here with or without the elements, but the elements give us a representation of bringing the one Christ, the one bread, the one cup into us and uniting us as one people. And so Christ, come in, enter in, and bring peace. Bring peace to our church. Bring peace to our city, and bring peace to our world. Bethlehem has a lot to teach us. Humility precedes honor. Patience prepares for promises. Devotion will promote our delight. Let's devote ourselves to Christ today so that when Amen. he comes, we're ready to celebrate. You know, the end of the C.S. Lewis series, The Chronicles of Narnia, they recognize that they died. It's kind of a morbid ending. So if you haven't read it, I'm sorry, but it's been around for 50, 60 years. So I feel like this isn't a spoiler alert. You should have read it. They recognized that they thought they were in Narnia, but they had died, actually. They'd been in a train wreck and had died. And, and all of a sudden, they, they found themselves in heaven. And the closest thing to heaven they had understood was Narnia. But when they finally recognized, we don't have to go home, we are home. It ends with this incredible moment of joy where they chase Aslan Christ, the lion, and it's just deeper and further. And they go and they chase him, and it's this never-ending pursuit of God where they're brought closer and closer and deeper and deeper into his joy. Enter, my son, into my joy. If we are devoted today, we're prepared. There's also those that are there in that story. It's a really interesting idea. They find themselves in the afterlife, but because they were not devoted... They believe that they're trapped in a barn. And they're eating dirt, saying it's hay. And it's a very strange picture, uh, either of hell or purgatory. I'm not sure where C.S. Lewis was going with this. But because that they would not accept what Christ had offered, what Aslan had offered, they're in this eternal, imaginary torment of their own making. And they could have chosen to follow God, but they chose another path. If we will devote today, we will be prepared. Do you think everyone's experience of heaven will be equal? I don't know. I have a feeling that the closer I am to Christ in this life, the more ready I'll be able to accept the next life. And I think I can have some warrant in the Bible for that, but that's a different sermon. <laughs> Finally, the prince will provide the peace. We have to always remember 
that without Christ there is no peace. And Christ will cause a sword between fathers and sons and between husbands and wives. He says that I come to bring a sword, but he also offers peace. And it's when we submit ourselves to Christ that we find that we are under the greatest ruler, our heavenly maker, who brings the peace. And so we need to bring the gospel to make that happen. And so I would challenge you from Bethlehem this season, live in the spirit of Bethlehem, have humility, be patient, devote yourselves to Christ, and be ministers of peace. Share the gospel. All right, we are going to go ahead and close with that special prayer, the sinner's prayer, which is in the Bible. Amen. Show it to you. And then we'll close with the sign and we'll have the Lord's Supper. So it might be a little late. I have a tendency to do that. I apologize. Somewhat. Love it. If you do not know Christ, and this is just a song to you and it's nice and you like Christmas, or if you are kind of in the midst of it all, I tried, I tried to be devoted, but I got caught up in it, that hustle and bustle. We're trying to get to the deadlines. We're trying to get it all done before we close for Christmas or, or whatever. Uh, I would ask you, if you don't know Christ, pray this prayer for the first time and offer your heart to Christ. And for those that are here that know Christ, let's pray this together as his family, asking him once again to set our hearts right so that we can move forward into the attitude that he promises to bless. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I humble myself before you, my King. I admit I have broken your rules. I've sinned against you. And I deserve your punishment. I've heard that Jesus came and died for my sins. And he offers me forgiveness. Please, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Dine with me as my friend. Walk with me forevermore. Amen.